Hello and welcome to your guide to the good stuff. I'm your host, Jim Graber. Life is too short not to enjoy every moment of it, so we're going to share with you the tips, tricks, tools, and strategies to help make your day-to-day life easier and more enjoyable. Plus, we're going to help you create those special moments, the ones that lead to lifetime memories, all without breaking the bank, because you deserve it. Hello and welcome to today's episode, Staying Warm in the Winter, The Power of Insulation. Our house was built in the mid-70s and it was custom built, thankfully, so plenty of outlets, good windows, and they did a good job for the time to insulate and seal the house. But like everything, technology gets better and things deteriorate over time. I always tell people that owning a house is a full-time job and a lifelong commitment. I often see the memes or rants rather about how they will let you pay this much money for a rent but not loan you the money to own a house for the same payment you could have a mortgage for. What they don't understand is a mortgage payment is just the beginning of home ownership. Now I could talk on this for over an hour alone and so many homes fall into ruin because the homeowner had no idea about maintenance and upkeep and certainly most people don't understand that insulation will deteriorate over time. So I want to talk about a key area of maintenance that will improve the comfort of your home and is often overlooked. Our house is 100% electric, so the HVA system is a heat pump. They're efficient and work great until the temperatures fall below freezing. So our house had a wood stove insert in the basement and the upstairs living room to help, along with those electric heating coils, and if you've ever had those come on, you can watch the meter spin. The basement had a classic Mother Earth wood stove. And a couple of years ago, I replaced it with an Iron Strike high-efficiency fireplace insert. These units claim to be 80% efficient. They have a catalyst board on the top along with heating tubes, and they circulate all the smoke around inside the firebox before it goes out the exhaust. And you can see it ignite the smoke, and it looks super cool with flames rolling along the roof of the insert. And it gets pretty hot. My issue is I put it in the basement, which had a 35-foot flue length. As a result, my unit drafts too much. This is according to the factory. So the inserts get hot, but it also burns fast. And my plan was for it to burn at least 10 hours of the potential of 14 hours. It will stay hot after 10 or 12 hours, but it's really reduced the coils by then. You don't use a damper on the flue, but they control the airflow into the unit, so different than traditional inserts. I reached out to the factory, and they said given the flue length, of course, it was drafting too much, and they suggested stacking wood crossways in the front door to slow down the air feeding the fire. Now, that sounded ridiculous to me, but I noticed the unit pulls air in and across the glass door. This is how they keep the glass doors clean. You can see vents along the top just inside the door, and I bought some wool-like cloth that's good to 2,000 degrees and stuffed it into several of the vents to slow down the air. It has helped tremendously with slowing down the burn and still producing good heat. It makes it a little bit harder to start, but I think these units are fairly hard to start anyway. But a good strong fire in the basement will almost heat the entire house. Now the upstairs unit is much lower in quality from the beginning. It's still the original one. It burns wood fast or very little at all. It's a smart insert with a fan. And it will definitely heat the upstairs, but you have to put a box fan in the living room to to blow the heat out to the rest of the house or it gets too hot in the living room. And it only lasts for about four or five hours. 
a new high efficiency insert is on the list for that living room. But the first major upgrade we made after that was to replace the old wooden double pane windows. Some had a cracked glass, so the gas between the window panes had leaked out years ago. We went with a fiberglass reinforced triple pane window. Now I expected there would be a difference, but I was blown away at how much of a difference it made. It helped reduce the electric bill in the winter and the summer. Now, unfortunately, I did not document the dropping utilities, but it was dramatic enough that we noticed it right away, and I remember it was somewhere in the 15 to 20% range. New windows really can make a difference in your heating and cooling, and many homes built in a subdivision use the cheapest window possible. I've toured several of them when my kids were looking to buy a house, and I was blown away by how cheap the windows were. A good test in the winter is to put your palm on the glass, then touch the wall. Good windows should have basically the same temperature feel as the wall. The front of our house faces northeast, so the winter wind out of the north hits it pretty hard, and I can put my palm on the picture window in the dining room. It's only double pane because it was so big, and the sliding glass windows on the sides are triple pane, but none of the glass feels very different from the feel of the wall, so a very good sign. Now you can go hardcore and use an infrared camera like the one I talked about in the tools podcast, but your hands will tell you most of the story and enough to tell what's going on. Our first house had cheaper windows and you would freeze your hand on those. And in a couple of the rooms, the windows would actually freeze condensation on the inside of them. Now the wall temperature thing brings me to another major upgrade we made. Our master bedroom has a deck going out over the walkout into the basement, and originally there were two sets of sliding glass doors to go through. I guess the idea of using two was to provide better insulation, but even with the two sets, the inside door always felt cold, plus the doors took up a whole lot of wall space that was awkward to put stuff in front of them. So I took them out and put in a full glass insulated fiberglass man door, And then I filled in the remaining space with a new wall. I put fresh R13 insulation in the wall and I put foam insulation on the outside because our house is brick and then bricked over it. The first winter, I noticed the new wall stayed room temperature, but farther down the old wall was ice cold. It's where our closet is and I reached up against the wall and was shocked. That wall faces northwest and it was as cold cold winter day and I realized that the old insulation had deteriorated. In my work I have a large insulation plant as a customer. They make fiberglass insulation for walls and attics and the maintenance manager explained to me one day that they sell air. The more air the fiberglass matrix can trap the better it insulates and over a long period of time the binder dries out and the fiberglass turns to dust, falls into the bottom of the wall and they lose the ability to trap air and insulate your walls. On a side note, they make fiberglass bat insulation the same way cotton candy is made. The glass is heated up in a white hot liquid and at the top of the process is a ceramic bowl with a cone in the middle of it. The walls of the bowl have thousands of tiny holes drilled through them, and the bowl is spinning as ribbons of liquid glass are poured into the bowl. 
The spinning forces the liquid glass through the tiny holes and they shoot out as red hot needles. Going through the ceramic cools them down some and below the bowl is a chamber with a moving conveyor belt on the sides and the bottom pushing the needles out of the chamber. At the same time, a binder is being sprayed into the hot needles to cause them to stick together as they cool down. If you go to Owen's Corning, of course, it's pink colored binder. The binder, by the way, is the main cause of making you itchy when handling insulation, and originally it was formaldehyde-based. So if you ever remove any insulation that's 20 years or older, you better wear a dusk mask. The non-itch insulations use a non-itchy binder, and the massive needles as it drops into the chamber is reduced to smaller and smaller, compressing it to the desired width and thickness. The speed of the conveyor belt helps control the density of the final product, and farther down the line, they glue on a paper backing for some of the products, some they just leave as batted insulation. The conveyor lines are very long, and most of that's due to the cooling that's needed. If they form up the rolls of insulation too soon, they have fires break out in the warehouse. Apparently, it's not that uncommon. But it's a cool process to see and part of why I tell everyone I live the job of how it's made. Now, after I noticed the cold wall, I knew it was time to upgrade our insulation. The attic was the first place I started on. Attic insulation settles over time, and when I looked up there, I could see that it was below the ceiling joist. So it gets more compact and it holds less air. So I bought bats of compact cellulose insulation to blow in the attic. Compact cellulose is made from mostly recycled materials, so it rates as a green insulation, and it actually has a higher R factor per square inch than fiberglass, and it's really just dealing with dust. If you buy enough insulation, the machine rental is often free. It takes a little more work to blow in the compact cellulose versus fiberglass. The fiberglass machines have an open hopper with mixer blades to break up the bat immediately and blow it into the distribution hose. The ones for the compact cellulose had a steel grid over the opening and the bats are very compressed so they have to be broken up before they'll feed through the screen to the mixer paddles. So I got my sons to help me. We took 55-gallon trash cans and would dump a bat into each one. Then a person or two would break up the bats with a garden tool like a hoe or just the wooden handle of a rake or something. Another son would dump a broken-up bat into the blower machine, and I would run the hose, blowing it into the attic. I added several inches of insulation to our attic, and we noticed an immediate difference in how warm the house felt. We did the job in the late fall, and we got farther into the fall before turning on the AC system, it seemed. Since we have had the solar panels, you notice a big difference when the HVC, HVAC has to run. I don't know the exact percentage, but it feels somewhere around 40% of the electricity we use goes to the heat pump, and we have one of the more efficient heat pump systems at a 16 sear. Adding insulation to your attic is a simple thing to do. There are online calculators to figure out how much you need to cover an area so deep. There are also charts to tell you how deep you need to have it based on where you live. Now, a little more doesn't hurt anything, and it's also more than just energy savings. It's about comfort. This helped to equalize the temperature in the entire house. Now, one of the biggest things, though, we did for room-to-room -room comfort was re-insulate all the exterior walls. As I mentioned, the front of the house faces northeast, and in the winter, 
The wood floor by the bay window in the kitchen was ice cold. The granite countertop by the sink in the kitchen felt like it was cold enough to make ice cream on. Now, I was not going to go tear out all the sheetrock and add in new fiberglass insulation. I needed something simpler, and I wanted something with a little bit higher insulating value if possible. Many new homes today are using spray foam insulation. The biggest advantage is that the foam seals the wall from any wind, so there's no air gaps, no air blowing into the wall. The downside is if you need to run new electrical, the spray foam is impossible to push a wire through. A good method they're doing now is called spray and bat. They spray foam all the corners between the wall joist and the outer wall to seal it, and then they put in traditional fiberglass insulation. So that way, no wind can get into the wall, and you can freely push wires through it. It's great for a new house, but impractical for an existing home. We found a company that came in and spray foamed all the exterior walls, including the garage walls. They came out with a trailer that had 55-gallon drums of the components used to create the foam. They used low-expansion open-cell foam. Low-expansion keeps it from blowing out the sheetrock. You want to use open-cell foam. Closed-cell foam does have a higher R-factor, but it will also not let water through, which sounds like a good idea unless you have a leak somewhere in the house. For example, I've seen where it was used on the underside of the roof decking between the joists. The shingles developed a leak that never dripped into the attic, so the homeowner never knew there was leak. They discovered it when the sheeting underneath the shingles had completely rotted out. For our house, it was a three-man operation. One person monitored the equipment on the trailer. One guy had a high-end infrared camera to find the space between the studs and to monitor the foam fill. The third guy ran the injection gun. The first thing they did was take the camera around the house and drilled holes in the middle of the wall between each set of studs. Then they came back with the foam gun and the camera and injected foam until you could see that it had reached the top. You could actually see it filling the cavity because it's hot as it goes in. And in some places they had to drill a second hole higher up to complete the filling of the cavity. It took five hours or so and they made sure with the camera that all the external walls were full of foam. And after 24 hours, I just used a putty knife to scrape off the excess foam in the three-quarter inch diameter hole and then a dap of drywall mud over the hole to fill in the air bubbles and level it out. One quick sand and I was able to repaint. The process eliminated all the cold spots in the house, especially the ones in the kitchen. The house also stays cooler in the summer. If we close the blinds to keep the heat from the sun out, it delays the AC from coming on well into the afternoon. Plus, it has sound insulating properties, something we didn't realize would happen. We live very close to a railroad crossing, and it noticeably dampened the sound of the train horn. The bottom line, all of this has helped with the electric cost, but more importantly has made the house more comfortable overall. Insulation degrades over time in all houses, and it's something most of us never consider. All you have to do is take a peek in your attic. If you can see the ceiling joists, you probably would benefit from more attic insulation unless you live in southern Florida or Texas, and even then it would help with the heat. The attic insulation is fairly cheap, and again, the machine can be gotten for free if you buy enough to do your whole attic. The spray foam will be a few thousand dollars or more depending on the size of your house, but if your house is over 20 years old, 
it could be a game changer because I would guarantee that that insulation is deteriorated. Check out your attic, see what happens. Let us know how it works for you. We're always interested to hear what you think. Please go to our website, yourguidetothegoodstuff.com, and leave us feedback. That's Y-O-U-R, guidetothegoodstuff.com. You can also reach out at our email, yourguidetothegoodstuff at gmail.com. New episodes are released every Monday and can be found wherever you get your podcast. As an added benefit, if you sign up for our email, you will receive a synopsis of what Monday's episode is about on the Sunday before, Plus, you'll get any links we share and behind-the-scenes photos delivered to your email on the Monday after the episode is released. In the meantime, have a fantastic week, and as my friend would always say, Arrivederci.